And it was a privilege to be with y'all these few weeks and to get to know you and be blessed as the family of God, being part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text this evening, Psalm 128. A song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord our God, you have told us that if we would open our mouths wide, you would fill it. And so in faith, we open our mouths wide this evening. And O God, we know that because of Christ, you will fill it with the finest of wheat, with honey from the rock. You will satisfy us so that our all in all might be in Christ, the head of the church, the head, the Savior of your people. And so we pray tonight, Lord, that you will bring peace upon Israel, that you would prosper her even in this place, that you would grant every success to the ministry of the word, and that you would bring glory to your great name. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Psalm 120 through 134 are psalms of ascent used by Israel as they journeyed to Jerusalem on their annual feasts. Psalm 138 is often thought of as a companion text to Psalm 127 as it speaks of the blessedness of the church and the family. And the key to experiencing such a blessing is the fear of the Lord. A second emphasis we see in this relationship is between the church and the family and how both entities are meant by God, designed by God, to bless each other. We might call this a symbiotic relationship. Now the psalm, as you look at it, is divided into two parts, verses 1 through 4 and 5 and 6. And you'll notice that the first part begins with a beatitude. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. And the second part begins with a benediction. The Lord bless you from Zion. The first part speaks of the Lord's covenant blessings upon the households. And the second part speaks of God's blessing, his covenant blessing upon the church. And these two divisions then will be our points this evening. Now as we've read this beautiful psalm together, you can't help but notice the repeated words in this psalm, how it emphasizes the word blessing. Now in Hebrew it's not all the same word, it's 
the same family of words which speaks of blessing, of favor, of well-being. And notice that these blessings are experienced in the creation ordinances of work and marriage. And what the psalmist does is he brings us back to Genesis 1. God's creation of man and woman and his purpose for them to have dominion over all the earth to multiply and fill it. It's not that the psalmist wants to leave out those who are single in the church, those who are unmarried, the divorced, the widowed, but he's describing the norm for God's image bearers, particularly in the realm of marriage, and then also the church. In verse 2, we have God's covenant blessings to a man who is a husband and a father. And if you notice, the everyone of verse 1 becomes specific in verse 2. In verse 3, he has a wife and children. And God promises to bless this man, make his vocation profitable, and that he will have reward for his labor. God will make him succeed so that he will earn and be fruitful. It will go well with this man because the Lord makes his work satisfying. As we read just a few weeks ago in Ecclesiastes 2, where the wise man says there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find employment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment. Also Ecclesiastes 5, 18, which you all read a few weeks ago. Now as you look at this text then, and as you see God's design for this man, who's also a husband and a father, you understand that this is not Mr. Mum. It is a man who is providing for his wife and for his children. And God has appointed him particular duties. And those duties are rewarded by his God. And notice this man experiences blessings not only in his labor, but, verse 4 tells us, in his marriage. Or verse 3. He is blessed with this amazing woman who's also described with a simile. She shall be a fruitful vine within his house. And Psalm 104 reminds us that God gives wine to gladden the heart, just like the blessings that this man receives in his wife. She becomes his joy. She makes the home a little paradise, a sanctuary. She fills it with peace and tranquility, a refuge for her husband and for her children from the world outside. The home is her sphere of influence, and she creates in it this atmosphere of love. Now, it's not to say, of course, that a wife cannot work outside the home, but the place of her, her, her influence, her primary place of influence, is in the home to complement her husband and to provide a pleasant habitat. And part of her fruitfulness is seen then in that she's having children. 
Now, sadly, childbearing has often been despised in our culture, but the Bible places great honor upon childbearing. It is blessed by the Lord, and the Apostle Paul gives us this promise in 1 Timothy 2, where he says, she, the wife, the mother, she'll be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, with self-control. They'll undo or reverse the curse. Now, the, the psalmist uses another agriculture simile to describe the blessings of God upon this man in terms of his children. They will, he says, be like olive shoots around your table. In other words, the children will be like their father. Olive shoots from the natural tree springing up. And so we have here a picture of fruitfulness, of spiritual prosperity, a blessing for the present and a blessing for the future. So you see the scene that the psalmist lays out. A husband and a wife surrounding the family table, enjoying food and wine and the, that the Father has provided by God's grace and all the little children surrounding them. Now why is this such a glorious picture? Why is this such a beautiful scene? The answer is because of God's covenantal blessings that are being poured out upon this man and falling then upon his wife and his children. He is their representative head. And they fall then. The blessings of God fall upon this family. But what, we, what do we mean by covenantal blessing? It's an important word both in the Old Covenant and in the New Covenant. Remember how the patriarchs, they blessed their sons while on their deathbed. Or how Moses, as the prophet of God, the deliverer of Israel, at his deathbed, he blessed the tribes. Blessing is a covenant word that is paired with another covenant word. Do you know what that word is? Cursing. To be blessed by God is to have him remove the curse that fell upon us because of Adam's fall. Now you might say to yourself, Psalm 128 looks much more like Genesis 1 and 2 than Genesis 3. And you're right. And the reason for that is that God in his grace and mercy, has removed the curse upon man's sin, and particularly this man's sin. How did he do it? By sending the righteous man of Psalm 1, Psalm 112 that we just sung, Psalm 128, the Son of God, to bear the curse. And that's why the Apostle Paul speaks in the way he does. In Galatians 3, we we read this last week. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that, purpose clause, 
in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Christ reverses the curse, resulting in blessing for his people. As your pastor said so well, grace restores nature. And dear friends, if this is true in the Old Covenant, how much more in the New Covenant? And this glorious picture of Psalm 128 is not just pie in the sky. It's not that it can't be obtainable. It can be our experience. That's why the psalm included, or the psalmist included this. That's why the Spirit of God included this psalm. It can be our experience. So you ask, how? Well, it's not, as you might think, by seeking after the promises, the blessings of work and wife and children. You hear so many people, they say they want a good marriage, a happy home, a beautiful wife, a handsome husband. But that's not what the psalmist tells us. No, rather, part one begins and ends with the answer, a glorious answer. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. And then verse four, behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. That's the answer. That's how these spiritual gifts are received as we fear the Lord. And the Lord is faithful. He loves to bless his people. Now, the fear of the Lord is not this cringing terror, but rather an intimate knowledge of our God in Christ Jesus, our Savior. It is to know him, to have this overwhelming sense of awe that as sinners, he has, he has bestowed us with his grace and with his kindness that he has privileged us, that we are known by him. That this God who is so holy and transcendent, so perfect and eternal, is also the God who loves me with an everlasting love and has come near to me in Christ Jesus and by his Spirit indwelling us. That he would send his Son for me he loves me so much. He loves my children so much. And so by faith in Christ Jesus then, I follow in his ways. It's my joy as the God-fearer to follow him. In fact, I want to do what pleases him because I fear him. And I want this increased assurance of his continued love and favor upon me, my family, the church. I want to know more of his steadfast love to me in Christ. That's the fear of the Lord. And this fear then of the Lord, this godly fear, it displaces other fears. Isaiah Watts puts it so well in the song that we know, Amazing Grace, in the second stanza, "'Twas grace that taught my heart 
to fear. And grace, my fears, plural, relieved. To be embraced by the covenant-loving God drives away all fears. And this, then, is what ought to be characteristic of your lives. In this context, then, particularly, you fathers, you young men, you teenage men, this ought to be the chief characteristic of your life, bar none. You must be a God-fearer. And your prayer must, must continually be and increasingly be as you grow up as young boys to young men, to fathers, to grandfathers, Lord, May you give me grace to fear you more and more. And you young women, this is the number one thing you seek in your future husband. You must be attracted to him. He must be able to provide for you. He needs to be romantic and all the rest. But the chief characteristic is that this man fears the Lord. Fears the Lord. And you fathers, you swear to your daughters that you will never, ever give your daughter away in marriage to anyone who does not exhibit the fear of the Lord. And so the Lord's covenant blessing upon our households. And you'll see that how in the second part, it's enveloped so beautifully. So first, the Lord's covenant blessings upon our households. The second, the Lord's covenant blessings upon the church. Now, Psalm 128 doesn't end after verse 4. It very well could be. In fact, if you didn't know any better, you would, might just stop there. In fact, it was at the end of a page. You might not even turn your page because it seems like it's an entity. But the psalmist continues with a second paragraph in which he shows the relationship between now the family and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we might get at it this way by asking this question. From where will you receive your blessing? Family, where will you receive your blessing? Verse 5, the Lord bless you from Zion. Now, what's Zion? Well, we've known, we have heard what Zion is. It's Jerusalem. It's the royal city that David captured from the Jebusites. But it's not just the city of David. Zion is the place where the temple of God was located. Zion is the place where God met with his people. It's the place of blessing. And the psalmist understood that all blessings come from the presence of the triune God, their covenant Lord, which is in Zion, the place where Israel corporately worshipped. As all Israel made their way to Jer Jerusalem on these annual feasts to assemble together, they did so in the presence of the Lord, and they understood that's why they went up there. They understood that it was only as they 
all came together, congregated, assembled together in the presence of God with all the ordinances that God has in, had instructed them, the priesthood and the sacrifices, that there God's blessing would be communicated to them. And as we move from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, we have the same picture. But now Zion is not located in Jerusalem, it's not on earth, but it is in heaven, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. He says, when we worship as the people of God, we have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And as we worship together, this new covenant church then of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit, we are brought to Mount Zion. It's not that we're worshiping here. By faith, we have entered into the Holy of Holies, and we have assembled with those saints who have already been made perfect, with the spirits of the righteous, with the angels who are clothed in vestal garments. We have come to Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant. And in our corporate worship then, from week to week, we have a taste of the heavenly gift. It is here that we share in the Holy Spirit as, we, as he communicates to us Christ Jesus, as he nourishes our souls. It is here that the goodness of the word of God is tasted. And it is here that we experience the powers of the age to come. It is nothing like anything else. It is here then that God communicates his blessing upon his people. And recognizing that it's in the church that God, by his spirit, communicates such blessing to us. And that's why the church is the nurture of God's elect. The church is our mother, the church that Christ gave gifts to, pastors, officers, teachers for the of the saints. And it is through these ordinances, as our confession so wonderfully describes, through the word, through prayer, through sacrament, through the preached word, what we call the simple means of grace, that God supremely blesses his people. It's because Christ is here by his Spirit. And he calls us into his worship, and he's the worship leader then. He's the preacher. He's the one who blesses the people of God. Now, that is not to say that you will not receive blessing from God outside of corporate worship, in your homes and family worship or private worship, Bible study. But it is to say that God's blessing is most, we might use an, an idiom of our day, more potent here. It is here, under the ordinances that God has ordained, that he seeks to bless his people. But there's a second thing we see here in verses 5b and 6. Not only does the church bring blessing to our families as we assemble together in the name of the Lord and by his Spirit,
but our families are blessings to the church. Some of you know that for many years I've had a saltwater tank, something like Greg's. And in that tank I had clownfish and an enemy. And together they lived, something we call a symbiotic relationship. The anemone hosts the clownfish. It protects the fish and provides refuge from predators. The clownfish feels so safe in the presence of the anemone that they'll lay their eggs in proximity to the enemy. And the clownfish, on their part, they provide food for the anemone. And it's amazing, actually, to see how sacrificial these clownfish are. If you give them a piece of seaweed, they'll take it right to the anemone. They'll bring it. Now, this is the relationship that God has so wonderfully ordained between the family and the church. The righteous man seeks the well-being of the church. 5a, the Lord bless you from Zion. And the righteous man and the family longs for the prosperity of the church. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. And so as they come to worship their God, they receive the blessings of the Lord. The pilgrims you see aren't independent autonomous entities. No, their lives are bound up with the church, with Zion. Their hope for blessing is this great expectation bound up with the good of Jerusalem and with her future. How her future? Verse 6. May you see your children's children. You see, it's through the covenant seed that generations that come from the church that the church will continue to grow and prosper. As your pastor said, this is God's ordained way, normal way, the most prosperous way. And this was God's great design from the very beginning that Adam and Eve, husband and wife, they would populate the earth with these olive shoots. They would grow up just like their parents, loving the Lord, serving him, fearing their God, delighting in their father and walking in his ways. But now, after the fall, God's design has not changed. He wants us to claim the covenant promise that he will be God to us and to our seed so that generation after generation will walk in his ways. And that's why you see a family is not an end to itself. The family is for the blessing of the church through the generations. Church growth is covenantal. And this is, there is this symbiotic relationship then of interdependence between the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and the family, both that God has ordained. In the church, the Lord has given us experienced fathers 
to help us when we're young fathers. It's in the church that he has given us older women so that they might teach younger women how to be wives and mothers. And it's only as we fold then our families into the family of God that we will enjoy covenant blessings for both families. And that, of course, is by design. This is just one of the sweet and natural way that God works to bless us so that we might bless his church. Your home, your home and fellowship with the church is to be the nursery, the seminary, as our forefathers used to call it, so that in time our children, as Isaiah says, as Isaiah says, may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Isaiah 61, 3. And you see how all of us then are involved in this holy task. All of us. The fullness of the restoration that Christ has brought about is seen in the church. And you see this in the life of Christ, don't you? He was single. He wasn't married. And yet he is married to the bride. The bride church. And that's how we all then, each person here, each member of the church, participate in fulfilling God's purpose as married ones, as singles, with children, or without children. It matters not. The church is our family, and the church's children are our children for the glory of God. And so, dear people of God, make the church your highest priority. You want to know God's blessing? Love the church. Be a blessing to the church. Be passionate for her beauty and for her glory and for her peace so that Christ might be exalted in all the earth. Husbands and wives, be committed to your marriage. Parents, grandparents, and all God's people, be careful to nurture the olive shoots so that by God's grace they might rise up after you and bless our God. Pray regularly with our children, for our children. Live sacrificially for them so that by God's grace, our children would be blessed, fearing the Lord and walking in his ways. And yes, pray for all those children who were formerly part of this church, who do not yet fear the Lord. Pray for them. And you see how this psalm then gives us great hope great hope, we continue to labor in prayer as all God's people so that they too may come to fear the Lord and enjoy the prosperity of Jerusalem. It's plain in this text. It's obvious. It's magnified in our text that the Lord's great desire is for our children 
to fear the Lord. His desire for our families is that they all walk in the ways of the Lord. And so we pray and we labor in hope as the congregation, as the people of God. And we pray that Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of Christ, as he has made us followers of him, that he would make them followers of him as well. That together we might declare his praises. This psalm is like all psalms. In, which, in that it speaks of the Lord's blessing in a way that makes very clear that what we are doing in corporate worship under the ordinances of God that he has ordained is not just empty ritual. It's not just a mundane routine. Not at all. No, the great Lamb of God who freely gave his life for the church so that you might receive his blessing and that your families might fear the Lord. He has designed corporate worship with all its attended blessings to bless you so that you might bless Christ, that your children, your offspring might be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. And so we pray, we live in faith, we labor in faith with the grace of God and by the power of the Spirit of God for the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of our life. And that we would see our children's children walk in the ways of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And so, dear congregation, labor, pray, and by faith, Fold your families into this family and see the prosperity of Jerusalem. Peace upon the Israel. Our gracious God, how you have wonderfully designed all things for the good of Israel. Lord, you tell us in the Word, in the Old Testament, in the Prophets, in the New Testament, in the Hebrews, that one day you will shake the earth once again, so that all that will be shaken will be destroyed. But also, that the only thing that can't be shaken will remain. And that is the blessed church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the institution that he has brought about by his death resurrection, as if by his reigning kingship and his power. Oh, Father, we're so thankful to be part of the church of the living God. We're so thankful there's no greater joy than to be assembled together in the name of Christ Jesus and by the power of the Spirit, worshiping you and receive blessing from you, our creator and our redeemer. But not only that, Lord, you give, you're a covenant loving God and keeping God and making God. And you desire to bless our children as well as they are enveloped within the church. And that way you bless your church from generation to generation. And Father, we pray tonight then that you would bless this congregation at Redeemer. That you would prosper her in every way. That you would grant her success. 
that, Lord, you would grant peace to Israel and that we might see our children's children and that they would ever bless your name, that they truly would be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, so that generations from now, this congregation will remain faithful to you, delighting in your grace, fearing the Lord, enjoying the abundance of all that Christ is for them. And so, Lord, please bless the ministry of the word. Bless our brother David as he ministers each week, morning and evening. Give him much grace, strength, stamina, wisdom, understanding, discernment. Bless his wife and children that they might continue to serve him, pray for him. Bless the elders as they hold up his hands. Bless the deacons as they serve as ministers of Christ in this place. And Father, may they continue to be found faithful so that your people might receive all of heaven's blessings now and forever. We ask this in the matchless name of the head of the church, our dear Lord Jesus Christ.